This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 25 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Please listen to Season 6, Episode 24 for Part 1 of this two-part case. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. November 1989, 22-year-old single mother Julie Hogg disappeared without a word, leaving her parents and young son distraught. Almost three months later, her body was discovered concealed behind a bath panel in her home. Billy Dunlop was charged with murder, but after two trials, jurors could not reach a majority verdict as the condition of Julie's remains meant a pathologist was unable to ascertain a cause of death. Dunlop was acquitted and released following 20 months in custody, before he was again behind bars in an unrelated attack. Following Billy Dunlop's acquittal and subsequent imprisonment on unrelated charges for multiple counts of wounding with intent to cause grievous bodily harm, 
he began openly confessing to murdering Julie Hogg a decade earlier. He had admitted his guilt on at least three different occasions. While incarcerated, Dunlop was taken under escort from Hull Prison to Stockton-on-Tees Police Station. There he was questioned by Detective Inspector Dave Duffy and Detective Constable Peter McPhillips. With his lawyer present, Dunlop was asked about his confessions. He was suspected of committing perjury at both of his trolls for the murder of Julie Hogg. Head of crime with Cleveland Police Detective Chief Superintendent Peter Wilson and intelligence analyst Kate Rennie listened to the interview from another room. Dunlop was asked if he had told the truth at his trials, and he answered no. He was questioned if he had killed Julie Hogg, and finally he said yes. Dunlop agreed that everything he mentioned to his ex-girlfriend Donna and the prison officer was true. He said, I knew what I was doing, that I'd laid myself open to this, to perjury in that, with what's gone on in the past. But there comes a time when you've got to make a choice. You've either got to sort yourself out, which I've got to do now, and just be in prison for the rest of your life. I owe it to everyone, not just myself. Just sort it out and stop being a prat. It's all right, isn't it? What surprises me at the moment is the time it's took you, seven months actually, to come and interview me about it. Only if you'd have come up in March when I'd admitted it to the doctor and admitted it to the prison authorities because it's for the documentation. And I also wrote a letter to Donna and admitted it in the letter to Donna, and I knew that the letter would get back to the police being in the social services, because it went to the social services before it went to Donna. And if you'd have come up seven months ago, I would have told you this then. Dunlop began describing the night of the murder, saying, I've buried it away for eight, nine, no, ten years. There was trouble at the rugby club on the night in question, November 16th, November 15th. I'd had a fight outside the rugby club with a lad, and I'd severely injured him, and I had to go to the hospital as well about my injuries, and he was there in the hospital, but he was in a far worse condition. After that, I returned from hospital, and I needed somebody to talk to, and Don Patton wasn't there. Well, he was in bed because I was staying at Don Patton's, and so I thought about going round to Mark Waite's. So I went round there, and there was no lights on at his house, and I needed somebody to talk to. So I seen the lights in Julie's, and so I knew. I've known her for a few years anyway. So I went round and knocked on the door. She answered the door, and I went in, and we had a cup of tea or coffee. I can't remember which and we were just sat talking. I was worried about what I had done to the lad because I knew I'd hurt him, and I just needed somebody to talk to, to sort my head out, and I'd had a good skinful in that. And she just started taking the mickey out of us, and like ridiculing me, because I had a black eye and my eye was split open like that. I'd had stitches in my eye, 
my teeth was missing, and so I just, I just lost it, got up and strangled her. Dunlop went on to say that he had used his bare hands to choke the life out of Julie Hogg. Then he began to panic. Dunlop took some time to try and clear his head before going back into the house to cover up the crime. I just thought I don't want to get caught for this. I know I had been in trouble with the police, as you know, lots of times. And so I knew about forensic evidence and things like that. And so I threw a blanket on the floor and then stripped her off. I don't know how long this was after because I didn't have a theory of what time it was or anything. I wasn't looking at the time. I was thinking, where could I go? What could I do? Thought I had to hide her, so I carried her upstairs, wrapped in the blanket. First, I was going to hide her in the loft put her in the loft, but I couldn't get her up, couldn't lift her up. I had her over my shoulder, tried to climb on a set of cupboards, set of drawers, but it was too awkward to lift her in, and she actually fell off us on the floor. I don't know what made me think of the bath panel. I really don't. I didn't think of the bath, but anyway, I did. And I went downstairs, got a screwdriver, undone the bath panel and tried pushing her from behind with my feet against her, with my back against the sink, pushing her under with my feet. I went downstairs, picked her clothes up and put them in a bag, and I'd stripped off as well when I was downstairs. I was wrapped in a blanket so I couldn't get none of my clothes on the blanket, my vipers. I went back to Patton's. It was getting light by this time. I didn't know what time it was. Went back to Patton's, put the black bag outside with the clothes for the bin men to pick up. Went inside and went to bed. Billy Dunlop insisted he never went back to the house and could not understand how the plumbers or investigators had not found the body. Dunlop said he killed Julie because she had laughed at him and said he looked like the one who had been beaten, which enraged Dunlop because he claimed he was worried for the other man. Dunlop explained that he tidied up and locked the door behind him before hiding Julie's key under the floorboards at the house he was staying in. He spoke about the search at his house and when he was initially questioned, saying... It was the first time I'd spoke to the police, and if something hadn't have happened, I honestly think I would have confessed at the time, if they took us in at the time. The thing that stopped me when they come to interview us and asked us if I wanted interviewing at home or down the police station is the fact that my eldest son was there, four at the time, four and a half, maybe five, called Richard. He's seen me going out with the policeman and he started screaming and crying and went under the stairs and said, You're not coming back, are you, Dad? You're not coming back. And screaming. And that's when I decided there was no way I could admit to it because of my son. I would have admitted it if they'd have got me down the police station. But as soon as he said that to me, I couldn't for my kids. 
Dunlop told the detectives that he frequently thought about what he did that night and what he put Julie's family through. I'm sorry that it happened. I'm not bothered if you believe me or not, but there's not a day goes by that I don't think about that night and what I'd done to her. Not just, well, done to Julie, but like the family, but most of all for her too. There's Kevin, her son, her ten-year-old son. Well, he's ten years old now. He was only two at the time. Because I can't stop thinking. I can't take it away. It's there all the time. Dunlop told officers that they could go and tell Julie's mother the truth now. When asked if he knew he could not stand trial for the murder again, Dunlop said, I've come clean because I need help. It's as simple as that. I'm not proud of what I've done. I didn't know about that double jeopardy law at the time, you know, and uh, the consultation papers that's been going on a while. But like I said... I've got to get rest, doesn't it, if I come clean. You can go to Julie's mum now and tell her that I've told you the truth and that. Due to the double jeopardy law, Billy Dunlop could not be re-indicted for Julie's murder, even though he had admitted it. He could, however, be charged with two counts of perjury, for lying under oath at his trial. On April 20th, 2000, Billy Dunlop pleaded guilty to two counts of perjury. Dunlop once again confessed to Julie Hogg's murder this time in court. He was sentenced to two terms of six years in prison which were to run concurrently after he had served his current sentence for the assault charge for which he had received seven years. This meant he would serve a total of 13 years in prison from 1998. At this time, the Crown Prosecution and police were testing a new scheme to allow victims and their families to have more say in trial proceedings. Most people affected were asked to write a personal statement to give to the sentencing judge in the hopes it would implore them to impose a maximum sentence. Unfortunately, in this case, the Ming's personal impact statement never reached its intended destination. The Mings could not let their daughter's killer get off scot-free for her murder. They continued to fight for Julie. They applied to have her death certificate changed. The cause had been listed as unascertained, but with Dunlop's confession they knew it was strangulation. But they could not change it without Dunlop's explicit consent. And Ming continued to campaign for a change in legislation. She spoke with MPs, members of the police force, and other victims' families. 
In January 2001, the Law Commission began examining Dunlop's case while they were reviewing the Double Jeopardy Law. They agreed with the Stephen Lawrence inquiry that said, quote, There have, in recent years, been a number of well-publicised cases in which persons acquitted of serious offences are reported to have subsequently confessed their guilt. The McPherson report from the Stephen Lawrence inquiry also recommended that the Court of Appeals should be given the power to permit prosecution after acquittal, where fresh and viable evidence is presented. The Law Commission released a report that concluded that the Court of Appeals should be able to quash an acquittal in cases of murder. Following on from this, Parliament conducted a review of the Double Jeopardy Law. Another point to consider was the advancement in forensic testing, which could produce sufficient evidence to secure a conviction years after someone had been acquitted of a crime. The purpose of the criminal justice system is to secure convictions of guilty persons. There were a large number of cases that would likely get a conviction if the acquittals of defendants were to be quashed. The issue many had was that if the prosecution had the power to appeal an acquittal, there would be a chance that they would not work hard enough in a trial, as it would no longer be their only chance to get justice. The Criminal Justice and Sentencing Bill was proposed along with the white paper Justice for All, which recommended that the Court of Appeal could quash an acquittal in strict circumstances. That bill had to be passed, and An Ming was adamant that any changes must be retrospective. Anne managed to get the opportunity to present her case to the House of Lords. Lords are separate from the UK Parliament's House of Commons. Still, they have an equal role in making laws and examining public policy. The House of Lords were considering the Criminal Justice Bill, and in July 2003, Anne travelled to London to make a personal appeal to them to change the law regarding double jeopardy. On the subject of Billy Dunlop, she said, His defence barrister says in court Dunlop has made British legal history being the first person to have been acquitted of a murder then later to confess in court. If this is the case, there are no guidelines, no test case, so please set a precedent with this case. Change the double jeopardy law. Make it retrospective and instead of criminals like Dunlop making a complete mockery of the British justice system, let Dunlop and others be brought to justice for the crime he has confessed to, not just for lying in court for this horrendous crime. I will challenge any civil liberties group about human rights. Our daughter had a right to life. Dunlop took this from her. We have a right for justice for Julie. And the only way for us and other families to obtain justice is to change the double jeopardy law retrospectively. The year before, Kevin Hogg, Julie's son, had won an award for raising money for the Support After Murder and Manslaughter group. 
Kevin had only discovered the truth about his mother's death a few years earlier. With details of Dunlop's crimes and past trials coming up in the media time and time again, Kevin was asked about his mother's murder in school. He went to a social worker and informed her he was going to find out the truth for himself. Worried about Kevin's well-being, the social worker went to his grandparents and father and urged them to tell him before he found out himself. His family finally sat down and told him that his mother had been murdered and that the man responsible did not face justice. Kevin had been in the house when Julie's body was found by her mother, but he did not understand why everyone around him was so upset. He had accepted that his mother's death had been an accident, but when he learned the truth, he began to help his grandparents in their campaign for justice. Once the House of Lords debated the Criminal Justice and Sentencing Bill, MPs voted to change the law surrounding double jeopardy. Section 75 of the Criminal Justice Act sets out which cases could be retried under the exception to the rule of double jeopardy. These were serious offences that carry a maximum sentence of life in prison which had a severe impact on the victim or society, like murder, manslaughter, rape and arson endangering life. The cases that could be retried were those where a person had been acquitted of one of the serious offences. Section 76 of the Criminal Justice Act allows for the prosecutor to apply to the Court of Appeal to quash an acquittal once they have the consent of the Director of Public Prosecutions. This was to ensure that only cases in which there was new and sufficient evidence to go to trial referred to the Court of Appeal. There could only be one appeal made to quash an acquittal, and it would apply retrospectively. Throughout this time, Billy Dunlop was still behind bars. He finished his sentence for two counts of grievous bodily harm and had begun serving the sentence imposed for perjury. The Cleveland police started reviewing Julie Hogg's murder in anticipation of the bill being implemented. On November 10th, 2005, the Director of Public Prosecutions gave his consent for the Crown Prosecution Service to refer Billy Dunlop's case to the Court of Appeal. Then DPP Ken MacDonald said, It falls to me to authorise a police investigation and to give my written consent for a case to be referred to the Court of Appeal if certain conditions are met, including that there is new and compelling evidence and that it is in the public interest. Having looked at the submissions from the Chief Crown Prosecutor for Cleveland, Martin Goldman, I am satisfied the conditions are met, and the CPS should apply to the Court of Appeal for William Dunlop to be retried for the murder of Julie Hogg. 
The chief crown prosecutor Martin Goldman had said that once the law changed, the Cleveland police and CPS re-examined the case and decided to ask for permission to send it to the Court of Appeal to retry Dunlop. The Court of Appeal found that the acquittal could be quashed because it was possible to select a jury that had no prior knowledge of Dunlop's criminal history. Even if they did know, the fact that Dunlop had repeatedly confessed to the murder outweighed any potential bias against him. The new evidence of his confession was compelling and overwhelming. Dunlop's defence counsel said that if his client had known the law was going to change, he would not have confessed to the murder and only did so under the belief that he could not be retried. The Court of Appeal concluded that the public would rightly be outraged were the exception to the double jeopardy rule not be applied in the present case simply on the basis that Dunlop would not have made the confessions that he did had he appreciated that they might lead to his retrial. Chief Crown Prosecutor Martin Goldman said, William Dunlop has tried to escape responsibility for the murder of Julie Hogg for nearly 20 years and has put her family through great suffering in the process. Today we have finally seen him accept that he and he alone was responsible for killing Julie and hiding her body behind a bath panel where it was discovered by her mother. None of us can imagine what that must have been like for Mrs Ming, or what Mr and Mrs Ming have gone through in the years since Julie's death but I have every admiration for the dignified way they have fought for justice and campaigned to change the law. This is an exceptional case and shows that defendants cannot expect to get away with it if new and compelling evidence comes to light. But it does not mean that someone will be retried just because a verdict is unpopular. The strong new evidence has to be there as it was in this case. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safer families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. In September 2006, Dunlop was to finally stand trial again for the murder of Julie Hogg. He was still in prison for the perjury charge, but had lost the menacing facade he cultivated as a young man. Now age 43, he had lost his rugby player physique and his hair was unkempt. Dressed in a checkered shirt with his hair dragged back into a ponytail, Dunlop was escorted into the court. At his first appearance, he pleaded not guilty, but at this hearing in the Old Bailey, he changed his stance and pleaded guilty. The case was strong. The prior evidence was that at 2.30am on November 16th, 1989, Dunlop told a friend he was going round to Julie's. At 4am he was not in his bed at Don Patton's home but was seen there at 8.30am in the same clothes as the night before. Julie's house keys were found beneath his floorboards and his fingerprints were on the keyring. Fibres from his rugby shirt were found on the blanket Julie's body had been wrapped in 
though this had not been enough to convince jurors that Dunlop was guilty. New evidence was also introduced. On May 6, 1998, Dunlop was sentenced for an unrelated assault charge, and between March and May of the following year, he admitted in taped conversations with a prison officer that he murdered Julie Hogg. When he was arrested in October 1999, Dunlop again divulged that he killed Julie and had confessed to numerous people since his acquittal. Following the hearing, Anne and Charlie Ming were brought to a police station where they were allowed to hear Dunlop's confession in full. On October 6th, 2006, a sentencing hearing was held at the Old Bailey. To ensure the court was given all of the facts despite Dunlop's guilty plea, the prosecution presented the evidence. They disclosed the circumstances of Julie's murder, Dunlop's previous convictions and history of violence, and victim impact statements written by Anne Ming and Kevin Hogg were read to the court. Andrew Robertson with the Crown Prosecution Service said, The overwhelming inference is that the deceased rejected him, and was subjected to a violent sexual assault. Dunlop had said he strangled Miss Hogg after she taunted him about a black eye, but this was not accepted by the prosecution. Now the law has changed in large part due to the long and persistent campaign by Mr and Mrs Ming, who felt they and their daughter were being denied justice. Julie's mother read a statement to the court. I am An Ming and make this victim personal statement on behalf of myself, my husband Charles Ming and our family to describe the aftermath of the murder of my eldest daughter, Julie Elizabeth Hogg. At the time of Julie's murder, we had three children named Gary, Julie and Angela, and Julie had one child, Kevin who was only three years old at the time. Julie mysteriously disappeared on the 16th of November 1989, and her body was not discovered until I found her decomposing remains hidden beneath the bath panel in her home, some 80 days later, and after the police failed to find her in the first instance when they carried out a search there. The post-traumatic stress that I have suffered since verges on the indescribable. Horrific flashbacks, nightmares and intrusive thoughts. To this day I can still smell the putrid smell that was our daughter. My husband suffered a heart attack the night after Julie's inquest and throughout the two previous trials and was receiving treatment as an outpatient in a psychiatric unit after suffering a mental breakdown. Our son Gary attempted suicide blaming himself for not finding Julie's body, as he was the one who first broke into Julie's home the day we reported her missing. Furthermore, our surviving daughter Angela still finds Julie's death too painful to talk about. I received counselling from the day I found my daughter's body, 
which continued for several years and during which I had to be admitted as an inpatient at a specialist post-traumatic stress disorder hospital in Sussex. All of our treatment was a direct result of having to come to terms with Julie's death. As a family, we are damaged beyond repair and will never feel complete again as Julie will never come home. Julie's son Kevin is now 20 years old. As a three-year-old, he was downstairs in the house when I found his dead mother, so he knew something was wrong in the bathroom. He too has been traumatised for many years, and we had to explain to him that his mum had slipped in the bath and hit her head and died in order to protect him. We've all had a major role to play in Kevin's upbringing and had to cope with his crying for his mother, not understanding why she could not come down from heaven to be with him. Questions were always being asked throughout his childhood as other children suggested his mother had been murdered. And painfully, we finally told him the truth when Dunlop made his confession in 1999 when Kevin was 13. From that point on, Kevin also had to have trauma counselling, none of us ever understanding the reasons why Julie's killer should have ever walked free. I am aware that Dunlop appears to suggest he is remorseful for what he has done. In this regard, I would make just this observation. He put me and my family through 80 days and nights of not knowing where our beloved daughter was, through months of uncertainty and anxiety before two not guilty trials and through years of stress and grief of not knowing who was responsible for the brutal killing of our beautiful girl. If Dunlop had been truly remorseful, then surely he would have confessed within those first 80 days or even pleaded guilty at one of the previous two trials. Being aware of his boasts about killing Julie greatly added to our stress. We will always be devastated by Julie's death, but now hope as a family we can finally have some sort of closure. The love we felt for Julie has meant that we're the ones who are serving a life sentence. One that will continue for the rest of our lives. Kevin Hogg's statement was read by one of the prosecution barristers. In it, Kevin spoke about how he had been bullied at school over his mother's death, how he suffered from nightmares, and how he will always be known as Julie Hogg's son. He wished that he could remember his mother, but he missed out on her love and his childhood. Kevin was not present for the sentencing hearing, He chose instead to spend the day at Acklam Cemetery, where his mother had been cremated. Billy Dunlop was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum tariff of 17 years to be served before he would be eligible for parole. 17 years the same length of time Julie's loved ones had waited for justice. Presiding Judge Mr Justice Calvert-Smith said, 
There is absolutely no doubt in my mind Dunlop intended to have sex with Julie Hogg. What exactly happened then is known only to Dunlop. The Crown accepts that he strangled her to death and then, while still alive or more likely when she was dead, inflicted dreadful injuries to her vagina. It is impossible to comprehend the shock and horror of her mother as she pulled away the panel and discovered her remains. That shock and horror will remain with her for the rest of her life. The aggravating features of this case were the brutal sexual degradation of the body and its concealment. In my judgement, the killing was no doubt motivated by the frustration of the deceased not being willing to have sex with him. Billy Dunlop was the first man in Britain to be retried for a crime since the introduction of the Double Jeopardy Law 800 years earlier. Charlie and Anne Ming fulfilled the promise they had made to their daughter a day before her funeral. Instead of being able to spend the years following Julie's murder grieving her loss, they fought for justice. In 2007, Anne Ming was given a Good Citizen Award by Cleveland Police for her assistance in getting Dunlop convicted. She was also appointed an MBE for her services to the criminal justice system. Unfortunately, all was not well with Julie's family. In March of the same year, Julie's son, Kevin Hogg, was sentenced to 21 months in prison for gaining £65,000 through theft and deception. Og had been working as a carer for a 52-year-old vulnerable man, also named Kevin. Og had stolen Kevin Ward's bank cards and illegally obtained loans in his name. The deception was uncovered when Kevin Ward wrote a suicide note to his family, stating he was in a large amount of debt and that he did not know how it happened. It emerged that when Hogg had been in London to attend Dunlop's hearing, in which he pleaded guilty to murder, Hogg had been spending Kevin Ward's money on shopping sprees and a limousine to take him to the Old Bailey. Hogg was arrested the following month. When he was detained, he was found in possession of the stolen credit cards. The police also discovered receipts for all of the money he had spent. Hogg was no longer employed as Kevin Ward's carer after his contract ended in August 2006. Still, he continued to visit the man under the guise of friendship. The same month he saw justice for his mother, Hogg had driven Kevin Ward to a bank and successfully obtained a loan in the man's name. He then proceeded to change the address of the account to his own and requested a new pin so that only he had access to the money. Kevin Ward remembered this because while they were in the bank in Billingham, the car he was travelling in had been ticketed for parking on double yellow lines. 
A photograph the traffic warden had taken lined up with the time the loan was approved in the bank. Kevin Ward had become depressed with the mounting debt in his name and told his daughter he did not trust a new carer. At this point, his daughter called the police and an investigation began. After he was arrested in October 2006, Kevin Hogg was released on bail. He tried again to obtain a loan in Kevin Ward's name. Hogg was rearrested and remanded into custody until he could stand trial. At a hearing in March 2006, Kevin Hogg pleaded guilty to eight charges of theft and attempting to obtain money by deception. Kevin Hogg's defence barrister Duncan McGready told the court that his client accepted that they were nasty and mean-spirited offences and a gross breach of trust. But Hogg was depressed and used extreme spending as a way to cope. Quote, the death of Julie Hogg, the manner of death, the long and bundled police investigation into the death, the subsequent trials of Mr Dunlop and the effective campaign to change the law to bring Mr Dunlop to justice, have all continued throughout Kevin Hogg's childhood. It's beyond doubt that this process has had the most significant impact in terms of depression and certainly personality traits. This makes this case unique makes Kevin Hogg a unique defendant. Not a single hour has gone past in which he has not thought both of his mother and the constant, sometimes invasive, sometimes prurient interest in that case. He was a figure of interest both in public and interest to his friends. The way that he began to live up to that was by excessive spending. This provided him with the kudos with his friends and made him appear as the figure he thought he had to be as a result of the constant public interest. Kevin Hogg's family stood by him. While disappointed in his actions, they vowed to support him and help him once he was released. So where are we now? A number of successful convictions were obtained following Billy Dunlop's retrial in 2006. In 2002, Mario Soler had been found not guilty of the murder of 19-year-old Cassandra McDermott. In 2009, he was retried and pleaded guilty to manslaughter. Cassandra's mother Jennifer had campaigned for years like Anne Ming. Soler had assaulted another woman named Cara Hoyt, who sustained brain damage and partial paralysis as a result. Cara testified at Soler's assault trial, saying that he had admitted to her that he killed Cassandra McDermott. In 2012, Gary Dobson, one of those people responsible for Stephen Lawrence's death in 1993, stood trial again and was convicted. 
he had been acquitted following a private prosecution brought by Stephen's parents. In 2019, Michael Weir was convicted of the 1998 murders of 78-year-old Leonard Harris and 83-year-old Rose Safirian. Weir had been found guilty after a trial in 1999, but his conviction was quashed by the Court of Appeal the following year. A palm print found inside the home where the murders occurred was not matched to Weir until advances in forensic analysis made it possible in 2017. Scotland followed England and Wales in the changing of the double jeopardy law in 2011. Three years later, Angus Sinclair was convicted of the 1977 murders and rape of Christine Eadie and Helen Scott. Sinclair had been acquitted in 2007. In 2015, Billy Dunlop requested leave to attend his father's funeral. According to the prison service, any prisoner can submit a request for an escorted visit. However, they are only allowed following strict risk assessments. Julie's family were terrified that Dunlop would attempt to abscond and submitted victim impact statements to contest his escorted release. He was nine years into his minimum 17-year sentence for Julie's murder, and his request was refused. In 2017, Dunlop was again brought to court to face serious charges. This time it was for historical sex offences against two teenage girls, which he was alleged to have committed in the mid-80s to early 90s. He was charged with three counts of rape and two counts of indecent assault. At a court in Teesside, one of the victims said that she had been raped by Dunlop several times. Another said she had to fight him off as he tried to kiss her. Testifying in his own defence, Dunlop said, I have been a violent man right through my life, but I don't molest children. After deliberations that lasted just over two hours, the jury found Billy Dunlop not guilty. There have been suspicions that Dunlop had got away with murder before, though nothing has been proven. 18-year-old Tina Bell left her parents' home in Billingham on June 2nd, 1989. She was last seen walking from a flat above a fruit shop on Mills Lane in the town. Billy Dunlop was one of the last two people to see Tina alive that afternoon. The following April, Tina's skull collarbone and shoulder blade were found near the ICI Castle Works. Analysis of the skull showed that it had been exposed to corrosive chemical action, which meant that the killer likely used acid to try and dissolve her remains. 
none of Tina Bell's other bones were found, and her killer has never been brought to justice. Anne Ming continued to work following Dunlop's conviction. She gave talks at police training courses and advised family liaison officers. Sadly, her husband Charlie passed away in May 2013, aged 88. Anne wrote in her book For the Love of Julie that she still has nightmares and she can still see and smell what she found under the bath in February 1990. Anne said, If the police had found her body within those first few days, Dunlop would almost certainly have been convicted, and the maximum sentence then for murder was 12 years, so he would have been back on the streets years ago. I would also never have heard of the law of double jeopardy, and who knows if it would have been changed yet without the extra pressure of Julie's case. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to our new Patreon producer, Matthew Schaefer, and everyone who supports us on Patreon. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.